The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within UnityOnlineRadio.org The voice of an awakening world Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations Be present The Diane Ray Show Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining the conversation today. The topic today is love. And I know I'm a little late for Valentine's Day, but I think it's never too late to talk about love, something we need a lot more of. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. So just to kind of set this up a little bit, bear with me. I was talking to my sister yesterday, and she was relating a conversation she had with her 25-year-old stepdaughter, Jenny. We'll call her Jenny. And Jenny was relating her experiences in the dating world and the use of dating apps like Tinder. And this is a whole other world from the dating life my sister and I experienced. And I was kind of on the tail end of the Tinder revolution when I was single. I mean, I never used the app, but I've used online dating sites. I actually met my husband online. Um, I didn't get married till I was 44. So I know this is a valuable way to make connections as far as the online world. But this hookup mentality was a little bit different. So Jenny was telling my sister that she was going to meet someone later through the app. My sister asked if she had a picture of the guy. Jenny said, kind of. She had a picture of a certain part of his anatomy that you can guess what that was, wasn't his face. So my sister and I were talking about how lucky we felt we were that we weren't in this situation, how we felt people were not really happy with these hookups. It just it kind of opened up a whole interesting conversation, you know, how empty that people must feel when the physical act of the hooking up on Tinder is over. So it just, it kind of prompted a really great conversation. And we're going to delve into some of those ideas today. There is hope for the next generation and for the rest of us. My guests today, Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley have written an amazing guidebook to bring us back to who we truly are as individuals and in our relationships. Holy Love, the Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships, gives readers real homework and strategies to experience deep, meaningful love that lasts a lifetime, not just through a Tinder hookup. And they're also host of the spiritual podcast, Holy and Human. I hope you check that out. And Elisa and Adam, welcome to the show today. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. And thanks for sitting through my my long introduction, but... Uh, this conversation just happened, so it's really you know perfect timing that I'm able to talk to both I of you because I'm perfect, sure perfect story. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's, it's like super it's true. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Yeah, and I'm just I'm really happy to have you here to talk about this because what the younger generation is experiencing from what my sister and I experienced, you know, we're we're both in our fifties, low fifties, I'll say. the uh, The stepdaughter is 25. And we're like, wow, you know, look how, how much things have changed, how people are relating and what are we missing? 
you know, what are we really missing with, with these kinds of, these kinds of hookups? So let's talk a little bit just to set it up, like Holy Love, the name of the book. Let's hear your definition, definition of what Holy Love is and how important it is for us to bring that into our lives. Yeah, well, I love your story in the beginning because I think it does really show where we're at right now with the dating world and trying to find love. And this is a more complicated world to navigate than you or I had to deal with and integrate. Uh, For us, we really stuck with that word holy love for the title. And we had a long debate if we were going to change that or not because we knew the word holy for some would be triggery uh, because... People have a lot of programming on that word. It has a lot of religious connotations, but we really stuck with it because we really thought that this work, to do this work well, it was so important. We came to it with a sense of the sacred, with a sense of reverence and to love itself in that way. A lot of us see love as an emotion that overcomes us and it comes and goes or an emotion that a feeling we can get from meeting somebody. But we really see love as a spiritual process. And so if we really stop and we really listen to what our hearts are saying and use our intuition to hear what love is saying, it's usually pulling us along on a journey. So we really see love as a spiritual journey in itself. You know, those all those dating apps and things, we can find love anywhere. I don't, you know, I think we can find love on Twitter. Tinder or through these things. But what they don't account for is the soul essence in each other. It's, it's solely based on ego characteristics. And so we talk a lot about what, what we are very particular about defining is our ego, our soul, and love. And I would say, really, our book is just about being very, very clear about what those three things are and using those things to navigate relationships. And the ego is who we think we are. And especially in dating, we have a lot of ideas. Most women, if they're dating, will have a list of three pages of a list of the ego qualities that they need in their next partner. And there's nothing wrong with having a healthy egoic relationship, but if that's all that's happening in the relationship, it, there will be a feeling like something's missing because I'm a marriage and family therapist. So I'll have the couples that come, you know, years later or whatever, like the projections have fallen and like, I don't know this person or I feel replaceable in this relationship or they're doing these certain things for me or they're showing up in these ways, but I still feel lonely and like this deep missing place in my heart. So, Or that empty feeling you mentioned on that Tinder situation where having a purely physical encounter uh, and then feeling that emptiness afterwards. Like a flimsiness of like, okay, this is great on a physical level, but kind of where's the meaning or where's the real connection here? And it's not that we're moralistic and that there's a right or wrong to any of this stuff because it's not like Tinder's bad and you know, only whatever spiritual relationships are good. It's more like just inquiring of how, because people are in different phases. And so sometimes going, someone's in a sexual exploration phase and they need to do that on an ego level. Maybe they're healing from a real conservative background where they've been really oppressed and limited. And there's some kind of a independence or empowerment that comes from claiming their sexual life. But you can also get stuck there in reactivity to a wound. So all of our work is like, are you leading from the wound 
Or are you stopping and talking to love and asking your intuition, like, what do I really want from this meeting? Is there a potential to get that so that we're not setting ourselves up for failure again and again? Right. It's so important, the um, the marriage of of soul and and also of your body, of your head and your heart. And you, and you do go into that in, in great detail in the book. And Elisa, you mentioned you're a licensed marriage and family therapist and intuitive. And Adam, you're a, a certified somatic practitioner and yoga instructor. And I, I love the, the blending of these two modalities in the book, because I think it's so important that we're not disconnected from our, our head and our heart, right? Because I think we, we are so often, you know, reacting in different things. I mean, you, when you take the readers on the journey to get in touch with their minds and bodies and all kinds of relationships, not just romantic, what do you think is is our future if we don't do this kind of work? Like what happens if we don't wake up to our, our real potential? Like I we're, think we're missing what we out. What see happening is a feeling of something missing that people try to compensate with other addictions. So whether it's drugs or TV or exercise or shopping, they're trying to fill the hole in other ways. People get more neurotic as they age. So instead of becoming more individuated in a Jungian sense, my background's training in Carl Jung's work. So sometimes you'll see people, they get more and more themselves as they age and they're shedding off the programs and their like essence is shining out more and more. And then sometimes people age and they get more and more stubborn rigid, neurotic. And those are people who aren't kind of doing that inner work. They're not aware of their inner landscape. Also, people are more likely to cheat. They're more likely to replace each other because if you're not connected to the part in each other that's irreplaceable, then why wouldn't you just upgrade on an ego level to a younger model, a richer model, a whatever, and we're all going to age and we're all it'll all go at some time in some way. So it's kind of inevitable that we face this part of ourselves and it's easier when you do it earlier than later on your deathbed. It's not a good time to realize you missed all the true soul connection and you could have had in your life. Cause I've worked with people where that's been happening too. I think if you don't, it's at your own peril. I mean, what you're talking about in the book is so important. So I'm, I'm really happy that we're able to bring a lot of it to light today because when I, when I see like with, with Jenny, and that generation and, and the disconnect, there's a lot of unhappiness. And for sure. And you're and you're right to mention, okay, maybe we're going on this our, our exploration and kind of figuring out what our bodies do and all of that. And 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 that's okay, but you will come to a point where you're gonna be alone and look around and go, What what did I just give away, you know, for free? And it's not and Adam, just- I love that you said sacred, because <laughs> it is. Yeah. A sacred. We we say that that longing in our hearts for that connection is a holy one. And if instead of minimizing, repressing, or avoiding that feeling, we can surrender into it and really allow it to change us, then you become a mystic in love, and love can become your practice. And we're talking all about intimate relationships, but this is all the same true for relationship with your kids, your parents, your friendships, your coworkers. Are you seeing? We have a seven and thirteen year old. We're very aware of like okay, the ego thing is we need our kid to do their homework tonight and maybe they're learning tennis and we want them to achieve these skills and have we taught them this and this and this for the world. But also, are we with them in the room? Are we feeling their energy? Are we dimming the lights and putting on a candle at dinner and really being with each other on that presence level because that's irreplaceable and it's what it's all about. You know, at the end of the day, if you don't have enough of that, you're a human being doing and not a human being. And then it's a feeling of like, I wasn't present for my life. I, I wasn't there with those people. What right, we really we're see losing with, something. 
Yeah, what we really see with people is just this consistent desire to really be seen and recognized and that something spiritual happens in that moment. Because in that moment, even if it's with a friend, I think we all have had that experience. Oh, hopefully, you know, at one point where a friend, you know, we're, we're very upset and a friend is there to support us or something like that. So it doesn't have to be through intimate relationship. Um, it can be with a coworker, it can be with somebody you meet for only 15 minutes uh, if you're listening to your intuition and how to open that up. But the moment that we feel really seen and the moment we feel really recognized, it wakes something up in us. It wakes up that part of us that is the soul part we believe is that that inter- in, internal and eternal essence. And it's the part of us that is compassionate and just there's so much grace there. So just even in the world right now with Russia and Ukraine, it's like this is hopefully what we can start doing on a global level, too. Can we see each other as more than just what we can get or take from each other? But really that soul love part of each other, we feel like the whole world would be different if everybody was doing these practices. Oh, I agree 100%. And and I want to talk about that too in um, our other relationships, not just romantic, because I've I've experienced this um, in trying to see compassion in other people in difficult work situations. And, uh, and that's, that's interesting to get that, that realization too. But I wanted to ask you first, you know, we're talking about the soul and uh, we hear that term thrown around a lot, soulmates. I've also heard twin flames, which you didn't mention in your book, thank goodness, because I'm not even sure what that is. But what what is your definition or what what do you want people to maybe reframe the idea of soulmate? We consciously made the choice to not talk about that in that way. We actually are twin flames. But the reason we didn't talk about it is because there's so much ego and hierarchy on those terms that people think twin flames are better than soulmates. And if it's not a twin flame, what's the point? And twin flames is just technically, it's like a unique energetic experience of rejoining on a soul reunion when you're meeting. And there's physical Kundalini-like symptoms that happen to people. But um, and and we are torn because sometimes there are people literally going through it that need information. And then we want to use those terms for those people. But the majority of people, um, we and we don't see it as better. I often think about my kids. Would I rather have them a twin flame or a soulmate relationship? I think a soulmate relationship because twin flames is kind of like intense. very intense yeah. and very hard. Um, and it's not about giving or receiving love. It's about becoming love from a certain type of mirror, from an energetic mirror. Soulmates are people that are mated with our soul that grow our soul that evolve us on a soul level. And usually for us, soulmates isn't just that intimate connection. Our children can be our soulmates. And, you know, a lot of times we reincarnate in these similar groups because we're working on these soul lessons that are more than this lifetime in terms of the arc of what our soul is wanting us to I see it as the journey of becoming our sainted selves, like all our lifetimes are to become our full love bodies. And then all our experiences, interactions, challenges, lessons are all helping us to become that. So that's why we didn't mention it in this book, because it's like, it kind of doesn't matter. It, it, you know, it's kind of like, what's the def, what's, how are we going to, what box are we going to put it in? But really, it's all the same thing. Are we using reality, which is how the world is appearing around us to become more of our souls or are we not doing that? And that's kind of the only thing that we think really matters around this. Right. And making people aware of those kinds of connections. Um, the, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned not just in a romantic relationship. Cause we, I mean, I've met people that have become wonderful friends 
that I know there was that connection somewhere else. And I know the work of Dr. Brian Weiss. I mean, I, I believe this people may think I'll veer off into the woo and I will a little bit, but I mean, I do think that souls can meet in other places, other times, maybe other relationships. You know, my mother may have been my sister or brother in another situation or friends or that kind of thing, but making people aware of that level of existence, I guess, is part of the the message it's, of the book, right? It's a process. You have to be so gentle with the ego. Because the first time I heard about reincarnation, I thought it was the craziest thing. I was like, this is not a real thing. This can't be true. The Dalai Lama was asked in The Art of Happiness by a Western psychiatrist, why are Westerners not happy? Why, you know, why can't we become happy? And he said, because you don't have an understanding of your past lives and what you're doing. So you're kind of, it's like looking for your keys under the spotlight in the parking lot at night, but you don't go into the shadows. And so I don't feel like it's an assignment that everyone has to do at everyone's phase in your life. I think sometimes people don't need to do it, but if it starts to come to you, like there's something about that, that your soul wants you to know, you probably will be guided to Brian Weiss's information or Denise Lynn, or, you know, there's like tons of ways to journey. And it's kind of like you have to change your brain state because for a lot of our memories of each other came through our own past life regressions. And so we had these feelings and some of them made sense and some of them didn't. And it wasn't until we went into the memory. I had a memory. I had a lifetime where he was murdered in bed next to me. So when we were first together, I was so angry at him for leaving me. That was my first feeling and a feeling of, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to open my heart because you're probably going to die again. I still have it a little bit. <laughs> I moved through a lot of it, but I, sometimes it surfaces. And so I had to kind of cry and wail and say things to him about how I was mad he left me. Thank God he was kind of connected enough to this work that he could hold space for that. My body just needed to like release it. My ego at the time was sitting there thinking, this is crazy what you're saying and doing, but it just like needed to happen. I know we went into the deep end quickly in this right. conversation. <laughs> I mean, honestly, reasons we didn't talk about some of this in the book is because we wanted this book to be really accessible to everyone. And we're so aware that this is more of like the PhD level of the spiritual work, not necessarily the entry point level. Um, and it can really um, shut people off from the introduction to the work. But it's also there's people that are on this level, too, that want to know and hear the information. Well, I think right. uh, how it can be useful, like Elisa said, is it can show us the right places to start looking. But we can all get lost when we get technical about spirituality, when we're like, what's it, am I a twin flame? Am I not a twin flame? It's like, does it does it really matter at the end of the day? Because it really matters about your emotional experience. And are you using this experience to get more connected to yourself and to grow your internal knowing? Same with past lives. A lot of people can get really caught up in all the details of trying to discover that. But does it help you heal something now in the present? So our book is a lot about opening up to that reality in relationship. So it's about stepping back and instead of taking things on the surface level, instead of seeing it as merely just an argument you're having with your partner and you guys are both really invested in your narratives, to step back and to be able to start making inquiries first with yourself of where is this really coming from in me? Can I connect to my higher self on this and my intuition? What does my intuition want to say? Sometimes your intuition is like, yes, you do really care about this. You, you know, this is a soul value for you. Sometimes your intuition is like, actually, this is an attachment wound from your childhood mm -hmm. and you're projecting it out on your partner. So it's not about making any rules, any dogma. It's about discovering 
deeper truths within relationship. And in in practice, we do couple sessions together and individual sessions, and we've both seen people, particularly women, that can be in that ego place of, is this person that I'm newly dating? I have to. I had talked to someone about the other day that I have to be with them and almost excuse kind of kind of emotionally abusive things because of our past life connection. Right. And so it's not about that. Right. It's about what Adam just said, where even if you have we can have past lives that weren't great with people, too. So it's kind of like just because we have a past lifetime, it's not um, some glue that we need to stick to. But it is about what are we learning through that exchange? I love the Mystic Mad Libs exercise in the end of the book, because that's kind of what that's about is what are the soul lessons? Why is this person in my life? What am I really learning from them? And also, if I knew and embodied what I would be freed from the suffering aspects of this interaction and engagement, because a lot of times that's what we're really seeking is like, how do we get unhooked from the hard parts? Right. And there's some great exercises. The book is very experiential. I mean, I tried a couple um, journaling prompts, you know, before we were going to talk today. And uh, I think they're very helpful. And you mentioned a, a Mystic Mad Libs one. And I just wanted to share my experience with a uh, exercise that you had in the book that was very profound to me. And it's right. called the eye gazing exercise. And it was at a, a meditation retreat where we were told that we were going to stare into this stranger's eyes for 30 seconds. And I was very uh, against doing this. I thought it was dumb. And I said, oh, I'm not going to look in this person's eyes. And then as I went along in the exercise and became more uh, in, like enraptured in a way of how beautiful people's eyes are and really looking past that. And I was able to let, let go mm-hmm. of my preconceived kind of silliness of how dumb I thought this exercise mm-hmm. was when it really was beneficial Um, But you have a lot of those exercises to kind of pull back those layers, right? So that we can really see into the soul. And I didn't mean to muddy the waters with twin flames. I think that whole topic, that could be your next book, maybe, or another conversation. Well, we were talking about that on our walk yesterday. We do feel like it's going to happen even with our own resistance on an ego level because it's important. And there's also a lot of crazy information out there around it. We would like to kind of put our two cents, our take on it in that. Um, What you said about the... What was that? It would be valuable. But just kind of circle just kind of closing the loop on that with the the soul recognition I guess and how important like I felt that eye gazing exercise was to really see that other person yeah. who was not even a, they were strangers mostly there were people at a at a retreat. But it, it was very profound. And it could seem like strangers and maybe there was orchestration of those were the people meant to be in that exercise. There might have been also some soul reunions. What there's some book you talk about that where they were it was like a past life book and then they did some kind of looking at it oh, energetically. Um and uh the setup on the soul level of when those moments are meant to happen in the group that there is a soul orchestration to the timing of all those souls that you might have been it might have been a higher than average yeah, group maybe, in there that you knew from some other places for that moment. Possibly. Uh, many lives, many masters. I believe. Uh, I think that's. Denise. Or was it? De- no, no. Denise Lynn's is present, past life, present miracles. Oh, past lives, present, past miracles. life, present moments. I think yeah. something I, like that. I know that. which one you're talking about. Yeah, she talks about yeah some. But I the, wish we had more of the details, yeah. but it was that yeah. concept. The the premise was that she was hosting these large groups of um, past life regressions, you know, and all these people would come and then she would have them stand up randomly walk around the room for a minute and then sit down again and then lead them through regression. 
And like eight out of 10 times, the people would have similar memories that sat next to each other. They like they were ha- had past lives together. So we are just naturally attracted to people. We would call all of those people soulmates, people that we keep reincarnating with that are here to assist us in our growth. When I had my out-of-body experience, I talk about in the book, I was at my grad program and I had just left a class with Stan Groff, who's the head of the transpersonal psychology movement. So he was doing some kind of deep work and I had left that class and I felt like I was moving into this state and a friend of mine who does body work and I trusted him a lot. He's like, you're kind of going in this altered place. You want me to hold space for you? went into the back room and left my body and could see from consciousness looking down at my face and my blue shirt, which was very surprising to me because my dad was a biochemist. My mom's a mathematician. So I was raised in a very analytical family trained with this idea of when you die, fade to black, it's over. Like there's not, there's no past lives. (laughs) You're not going to heaven or hell. That's it. just nothingness. And so when I was seeing my face, I was like, what does this mean? I'm not in my body, but I'm still existing as consciousness. And I have an identity to my consciousness. And then I had a life review, which is like a movie that's very technicolored. And then also from everyone else's perspective. So it's like, I always think about in this moment, also experience this moment from your experience of this moment of experiencing me and then Adam's experience all together. Cause so it widens your perspective. And and then also seeing it from the vantage point of my soul, which was love. So where Elisa thought she was being smart or spiritual, but maybe my soul, Sophia, was like, that's not my understanding of what's happening there. So that experience, then when I came back into Lisa Romeo, I could feel I was getting dumber and dumber going back into the ego of my programming. And it put in me this like urgency and desire to stay connected to that place, which was like, it's funny when you said the WW thing earlier of the energetic internet, because that's kind of what it felt like. Any question I had there was immediately answered. Things that I, as Elisa, had no idea about. But my dad was always challenging and my relationship with him because he was very cynical and he liked to argue. He was a scientist, but was raised Catholic. He had a lot of anger and cynicism from his upbringing. So, but what was made clear to me was our soul contracts, how we had reincarnated again and again, who he was meant to be skeptical to me because what I was meant to learn on my own without reflection and validation in this lifetime. So things that annoyed me so much about him, I suddenly felt gratitude for him holding that role for me. So that's just a good example of we've had more than one lifetime. It wasn't always pleasant, the experience of what we were you know, learning on this physical level, but there was like sole reasons for that that I had chosen. It's so fascinating when you start uh, digging into that kind of work and looking into those those soul contracts and, and soul relationships. And uh, yeah, I love that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that after the break and a lot of other things too, really getting into the book. I really love the book, Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships, Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley. And you can also check them out online and also on their podcast too. We'll give you that info when we come back as well. We'll be right back. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further 
allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me for the show today. I'm talking with Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley about their book, Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. And Elisa, what's the best place for people to find you on the web? Holyandhuman.com. And we have free guided meditations on there. And that's also the name of our podcast, which is available on, you can listen to it on that website, holyandhuman.com or anywhere podcasts are at. Anywhere you get your podcast, grab that. I've got to listen to a, a couple of episodes here. So I want to get into the um, the soul relationships that we're talking about and the, well, the four spiritual relationships in the book, because this really gives people a map to break down our relationships, both romantic and our other ones as well, our personal ones. I love the diagrams that you share. It really brings uh, things to light, like makes it very clear in the book. So just to give kind of the quick overview of the four categories we have the ego to ego relationship and and what is that just kind of basically on a superficial level just two two egos sitting around talking yeah you know we a lot of people define ego differently we really see ego as a positive thing that needs to be taken care of and nurtured you know you we all need healthy functioning egos uh we're not in the spiritual camp of you know you need to annihilate your ego but we need to see the ego as limited So the ego is just our understanding of who we think we are. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So it's our conscious identity. But we, you know, with an iceberg, only a little bit is above the surface, and there's a a most of its mass is below the surface. So that's our unconscious. That's our connection to greater spiritual truths and our intuition. Where our dreams come from at night. Yeah. So that's how we define ego. And so when we talk about ego to ego relationship, we're talking about interacting on the on that level. So you're only taking that person at face value and you're only talking about uh, physical world things and your understanding of it on on that realm. Uh, You know, on a superficial level, right? It's not just who I think I am and it can also be your value system. So, so that's, what's tricky about it. Cause it can also be, Oh, what I think I want in a partner in terms of their physical looks, but it can also be my commitment to charity. You know, so it doesn't mean it's superficial because it's ego necessarily, but it's um, what you think you are, which can be limited, which is really wild when you start to think about it, because we really are. We think we know everything. That's how the ego is wired. Right. So it's almost like amnesia where we forget to remember that that's not all of who we are. And I think our society is so just validates that part of us all the time. So we don't live like in India or places where there's a little more of a culture around knowing yourself in those outside of the ego places. The ego is like the driver of the car. That's, you know, the hands and feet of our being in this world and, and moving forward. But then it's what voice are we listening to, to take our directions from? 
Are we the driver, the ego, making all the choices? Are we listening to that voice in the back seat, that small whisper of the soul? So that's an, uh, you know. And one last thing about the ego is in psychology, it's like if you have a fractured ego, like schizophrenia or something, you're not functioning in this dimension as a human well because of the splinteredness of the healthy functioning ego. So that's why we're not like your ego is not your amigo, explode the ego, because I think we've evolved a little bit past that. I think that was when America was trying to interpret like India in the 60s and 70s. And now we've come psychologically to this understanding, oh, it's not just like spiritually bypassing the human realm. It's about nurturing the inner child which is part of the ego work so a good a healthy egoic relationship is like reflecting people's feelings and having empathy and like being able to take accountability and identify your feelings and give yourself what you need if it's a bath or a walk or that's all healthy egoic functioning stuff i liked your explanation of the ego it's great in this book because i have read in the past from other spiritual teachers how we need to beat down our ego and and I don't see how that's even possible. Like we, we have to have yeah. a strong sense of self, right? So you I can't think just we're be moving. I think that submission. was a, rea- a cultural reactivity to because we were dominantly egoic on a cultural level. And I think, uh, and it just depends to what you mean by those terms. So because people define them in different ways, but we we come to it with a real psychological definition. Yes, it makes total sense. And I love the the next one: ego to your own soul. And you, you talk about, you know, really discovering what our soul is, how we can communicate with it. You even advocate naming your soul, which I've never heard of doing that before. And, and how is that beneficial to, to communi- communicate with your soul in that way to have a name for it? Yeah. So we see soul as the voice of intuition. These are the hunches that we all have sometimes, and we're all familiar with that voice. Often people say the soul is that still small voice because it's that small voice in the back of our head that's telling us to do or not do something. You know, I think a lot of us have had that relation, that experience where we, you know, jump into a relationship and our ego is really excited, but we can feel a little voice that's like, oh, we know this isn't great for you or isn't healthy for you or, or that time where we you know, we're about to go for a drive. And then we heard a voice that's saying, hey, don't go out right now. And then a big storm happens or something like that. So many of us have had these little premonition moments, but they're too fleeting and far in between to really feel a definitive connection there or to rely on that to navigate our lives. So we're all about amplifying that voice about making that a daily connection. So we've designed a lot of exercises over the years with clients of really how to do that. And one form of that is soul journaling, is this idea of creating a conversation between your egoic self and your soul self. And just categorizing those two parts of yourself is really profound. And it starts this dynamic conversation. And we say, give your soul a name and you can meditate and have that that name come to you. But this name should represent unconditional love and all-knowing wisdom. And the name can change. A lot of people get very particular um, or perfectionistic about the name, but it's just a placeholder for that energy. Sometimes if we're doing this exercise with uh, like a child, like we'll say, imagine one of your favorite pets. And now imagine that pet is all loving and has access to all wisdom. And what would that pet say back to you? So it really doesn't matter what that symbol is. Uh, It's just a placeholder. It's a way our ego can make sense of it all. And so we create a two-way conversation. So our ego can say something like, 
soul, should I go for a walk today? You know, and soul might be like, no, wait 10 minutes or something like that. But then we can take it more and more dynamic as we build that relationship over time and get more comfortable with that voice and asking questions like, man, I'm really, you know, upset with my partner right now. What's soul? What's going on? What should I do? What should I say? Uh, and it can become really healing because we don't have to know all the answers and we don't have to be in a spiritually perfect place. You know, being connected doesn't mean that we're always PC and we don't have, you know, big emotions. It's more just giving that voice space in our lives to come in. It's basically Einstein's idea. You can't solve a problem from the energy level in which it's created. And psychologically, what that looks like is we're usually in beta state. We have a problem. Something's annoyed us. We vent about it. We think about it from that same energy. We process it with our friends who are usually on the same brain state. We get worked up. We react instead of taking a moment to raise to theta state which is where soul like lives the vibration of it's like a little elevator. I see it internally where we're kind of going up and then asking that question again from that place. And what does that place have to say? And it's so fascinating with kids or adults in sessions over and over and over. They'll say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know what it is. And then you'll say, well, have you asked your soul? Well, I think I'd know. And then you say, let's do it together. And then you do it. And then surprise, it's not what they thought two minutes ago because they never actually changed the brain state. And that's why I like to say talking about love is not the same as talking to love. Because when you really stop your ego and turn, and again, we have this amnesia of our egos that we like think we're doing this when we're not necessarily doing it. And you literally ask, it's so wild, the, the knowledge and wisdom and love that will come through clients that were five minutes before baffled totally blocked, have no idea what to do. The first time I really remember doing this when I worked in rehabs in California and I had a client, she was a heroin addict for years, strong atheist, and she was struggling with the idea of the first step of surrendering to a higher power. And so we were just kind of playing with this idea, like, I don't know, make up a name that love it has. And she named it Gnome, which I'll never forget. And she would ask Gnome questions about her addiction, where it came from and it was like I had never seen this part of her, you know, suddenly she had this completely <laughs> just like cornucopia <laughs> connection to all this wisdom about her addiction, why I'd come from, where the trauma was that I had never seen her in group therapy or anything have any type of insight like this, like to access that. And I just see that over and over and over. And it's true for all of us in a sense that it's like we just have this total, we can tap this incredible wisdom, but most of us just forget or don't even know we can do that. We're not even taught how simple it is. Right. And what's interesting with what you're both saying is that a lot of science that's coming out of the quantum physics world, you know, tapping into the field and, and things like that, you know, this big pool of, of energy that's around all of us, where all of that information, I think, resides. And then when you open the door, like you teach people how to do in the book, and almost like an automatic writing experience, right? Where you can kind of just let go and let let things come through will, you know, spark your intuition. Um, you'll have much better guidance in your life, you know, to be able to tap into those soul uh, conversations with yourself. And then the, the next spiritual relationship, your ego to the other person's soul. And and that is so powerful too. I was, I was thinking of uh, 
a situation I had with a, the difficult person I was working with that will remain nameless. I would never do that to them. <laughs> I'm sure they felt the same way about me. And I finally had to approach this person and say, look, you may not like me. I don't like you or, you know, but we've got to get to this place. You know, we have to be able to communicate. And I was able to really have compassion for this person that I could kind of, I guess I could see their fear, like something shifted where this person's really afraid of their position and maybe feel that they don't know what they're doing. Or, I mean, there was just a shift where I was able to, instead of looking at that person with so much intense dislike, which was keeping me from really seeing them, I was able to see it a little bit differently. And I think that's what you're talking about in, you know, your ego to the other person's soul, being able to see that part of the other person with compassion. Absolutely. Yeah, how absolutely. healing would that be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that your story you said about the retreat of being there and at first feeling that resistance and first seeing feeling like, oh, this person's like a stranger. This is so awkward. You know, I don't know if you want to describe that a little bit more of um, be where you experienced that shift, where it went from, oh, this is awkward. We both sort of have our walls up to suddenly an experience of love where some, you know, you both expanded a little bit to each other's essence. And we experience that on sessions with everybody we work with when we start intuitively piercing the veil and trying to see them on that level, it's the room is filled with unconditional love. So we really all have that this potential in all moments. And not that we need to be walking around in unconditional love with everybody. You know, we have a chapter called tough love. That's about, you know, when you need to set boundaries, but how to do that from an unconditional place, because you can also even with uh, somebody with an addiction, you can, uh, see their soul and have a relationship with their soul, an unconditional loving relationship with that part of them while setting boundaries with their egoic part or their addicted part. So it's not about wearing rose colored glasses, but it's really about seeing true reality and getting into true relationship with that person. Right. It's so powerful. And just what I experienced, I mean, I wish I could say to the, the, addendum of that story. Well, me and this other person became great friends and yeah. we hung out and had lunch together every <laughs> yeah. day. That didn't really happen, but there was a, a shift in, in understanding and compassion. I was able to navigate that relationship in, in a much better way. And it, it definitely made the, the, the working situation better, but yeah, I understand what you're saying where you can't just walk around and oh, I'm unconditional love everybody. It's, it's all great. What's you know, amazing is challenges, right? You can even do that astrally and energetically, even without the verbals. So once you start to get in contact with their soul, I had a... Well, this is also the uh, uh, fourth relationship. Right. Into that. I worked yes, at a place where I had a manager who every day would get me in trouble for my phone call times because it was through an insurance agency where it was the mental health department and people would call like, I have a gun to my head and I want to kill myself. And I'd be like trying to talk them out of shooting themselves, but also telling them where the nearest in-network hospital was to go. So it was a tricky job because you had to do both those things. And she was always annoyed because my calls were longer than other people. Every day, like clockwork, I mean, for months, just uh, mad at me about my times. And one night I was like, you know, I'm just going to connect with her soul about it. And I just talked to her soul, prayed about it, and kind of told her on a soul level why and what was going on there. And I was shocked when the next day, first day ever, she didn't 
come to me about the times and something energetically had shifted between us without even one physical world conversation. And she never after that came to me about the times I that I needed that on an ego level to see something real is happening when we're doing this work. It's not just in my imagination. We're really changing the field. Yes. And then let's get into that soul to soul a little bit, because that's really like the secret sauce, right? To the whole book is bringing people to that point where, where they'll be able to have that kind of communication. And you even say doing that kind of work, um, even if the other person isn't on board, like, like the experience you had, that person had no idea things were energetically shifting, but they can. So that, that's a really important piece. Yeah, the soul-to-soul relationship is the energetic and spiritual relationship that's happening no matter what. So this doesn't matter if we're aware of it or not, it's still happening. Uh, those are like those soulmate relationships we talked about earlier, where maybe you have a bully in your life or somebody, or like Elisa talking about her dad, uh, somebody who at first seems like they are a uh, creator of conflict. But then if you're able to zoom up and l- zoom out and look at the spiritual purpose behind that relationship what were the soul contracts why did you guys both come here as soulmates uh that's where you start getting all the real information and where you start becoming very efficient in your your life you know we're all about efficiency about like how can we this is happening so how can we become more aware of this and use this to our advantage and also that soul to soul relationship is where a lot of the magic happens in union because if we can, between two people, again, it can be intimate or non-intimate, if we can have that moment where we're both just resonating in that soul-to-soul relationship, that's where miracles start to happen. That's where we start, our egos start to settle down and our soul starts to come forth. It's like we become divine mirrors of each other's true nature and we start bringing that forth in each other. We call it soul incarnation. We don't believe you incarnate just one time when you're born, but it happens slowly over your lifetime where you're incarnating more and more of your soul, hopefully, if you're, you know, navigating life wisely. So when we do that between two people, we are actually incarnating more of our true self. At our retreats, we'll, we'll bring it in energetically. We'll summon the energy. And it's just so wild to see in a group because you'll just see people who are like, you know, have been in a resistant state. I, I love when you said the resistant thing, because there's so much to that. Because I think if you go into, well, what does this resistance feel like? What's behind it? What's in it? A lot of times there's a place of fear and a place where we've also been wronged for having hope that there is more. So we have wounds. And so that resistance is in some ways a defense mechanism to keep us what are the ego thinks is safe. So it takes a second to kind of let that settle down. But then people will just be crying and sometimes even falling off their chairs with the amount of love that starts to literally, and here's where the physical part comes in. It gets very somatic. Like people will feel shivers and waves and see different colors and gold. And as, cause it's very physical too, when, when this soul birthing process happens and that's more higher level. So we, we yeah. don't, you don't need to try to start out there, but I think it's just but starting to warm up instructions in the book to experiment on that level, uh, to experiment physically with your partner, to take physical intimacy out of the category of just sex and into let's start doing body work with each other, feeling where that tension is helping you release. We actually hired a film crew to film it because we wanted to show, especially the empaths because empaths can really feel what's happening in a video and sometimes start crying and they don't know why. So, um, 
it's called Awakening from the Heart. We filmed part of the soul birthing so that people on our YouTube channel, you can go see it happening to people. And it's very moving. It's just like watching a birth where you see someone really coming to themselves in a new way for the first time. Oh, I'm going to look that up. I really want to see that because I think that's so interesting. And also at that place, it's got to be so beautiful because that's where real healing can take place. I'm thinking specifically of a a good girlfriend of mine who had been in a long-term relationship like 15 years. It ended abruptly. You know, he left for another situation and it's been five or six years since that. And she's never let anyone else in. She's put such a barrier around her heart and her soul that I don't even know if she could have that kind of soul to soul relationship. But I just know if that wall could come down, that that kind of love is available because I think it is for everybody. You know, like my grandmother would say, there's a lid for every pot. You know, I think there's <laughs> I there's that. someone that you can have that soul to soul relationship to. And it, and it can be so beautiful. And I guess kind of bringing it full circle to where we started the conversation kind of talking about how empty sometimes those physical relationships are with just the hookup, like the swipe left, but bringing it to the end where you talk about having that soul to soul relationship on that, on that level, that physical level is just so powerful and healing. And you're saying people can experience incredible rush of emotions. And and I, I think that's, that's amazing that that kind of healing can really take place. And I just wonder, are, is this younger generation totally cutting themselves off from even knowing that that's available when it's just Did in the hookup world. Did you see the Tinder, the Tinder swindler? Did you see that movie at you all? You know, it's on, it's on my list. My husband and I were fighting over one thing to watch and I lost <laughs> that battle, but I am going to, I am going to see that. <laughs> because we thought that was a really great kind of documentary showing the problem with when you're only egoically oriented in a dating. Exactly. And a dating situation. I think that's a great example because to tie in also the story of your friend of this, of dating somebody and then afterwards feeling like scared of dating again. In that case, it's almost if you can only see your, or if at the time, you know, because we vacillate between where we're at, but if at the time you are only see your egoic worth or are identified as your ego and that's where you're getting your sense of worth from, when somebody leaves us, we can feel like they've taken our worth with them. Like they're holding our sense of worth. They're like, oh, well, if I was worthy enough, they would have stayed with me. And so now I'm scared to go date other people because I'm not worthy. This person still has my worth energetically. So if we were working with that person, they would probably first feel all those fear feelings would bubble up and they would experience all that. But then there would be a reclamation, reclamation, reclamation <laughs> of their <laughs> I knew soul. What you meant. Yeah, a reclaiming of their <laughs> soul, I'll say. Uh, and tears. And I really think that we all naturally have that within us. And no matter how far or how disconnected we may feel or seem, no matter how down the tinder hole we may go, uh, that we all have that real natural part of us. And the And the truth is, as we get older, sometimes it's harder to ignore that part of us because as our body starts to wrinkle and our hair starts to turn gray, we, it's often then that we start turning, turning inwards and asking the questions like, well, really, who am I? If I'm not just this body that's getting older, this body is part of me and it's part of my soul, but, uh, where is that deep essence part? So I, I do believe that we can all get back to that. But the Tinder swindler 
is such a good example because even the women telling the stories that know that this guy has been conning them this whole time and they're retelling the stories, they're still crying sometimes from what they thought that could have been that potential of what that was fairy tale of it because it was so romantic and so magical and so great. And we open the book with that premise of that. Everybody has experienced or longed for that potential feeling, but often when it's misplaced and we experience a crash from that feeling or it goes wrong, or we've been wounded from that, we think the whole thing is romantic projection and our whole impulse for love is just silly and false in the first place. And so it's really about separating those, deprogramming that, getting in touch with that part that does love romance. There's a spiritual part of our soul that loves romance and the and the beauty of that experience, um, but just experiencing it in a true way. A lot of times people shut down the whole thing. It's throw the baby out with the bathwater because they've been wounded. And the problem is they never had the nuance and discernment of what was actually happening. I had a lawyer, a client who had it was like his third divorce basically and he was like never again my last you know marriage was a love choice i made it from my heart and look what happened and i don't even know her so i'm never loving again and yet when you look at what he interpreted as his heart it was projection it was egoic lists and dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin from you know dating and all the things and the so it's like it wasn't actually his soul that was giving him the information and then he was willing to kind of shut down the heart with ever without even figuring it out and then at, when we worked together it was more like oh as i withdraw the projections i see things i thought were love that wasn't but i think in terms of hope in the world i agree with howard zinn who wrote a people's history of the united states that the pendulum swings you know we'll have like the 60s and 70s where there'll be like wild promiscuousness and the birth control is available and we're going on this way and then we're going to go into the 80s and maybe now it'll be more conservative with Reagan. And, you know, we'll, we, we go on these polls collectively and um, th- but there is the needle does move towards consciousness and evolution. It's slow and sometimes regression is a part of that needle moving so we can look at this moment and be like, wow, this is really depressing. I thought we were more enlightened than this, but I'm sure there's some kind of thing that's integrating that we need to through this collective expansion and then we'll find our center down the road. Well, I think what you're doing is so important and I'm sending this uh, to several people I know (laughs) that need to read this, including my friend, because it always makes me sad that She's kind of thrown in the towel. And I think that getting to the soul love place that you describe in the book is what it's all about. And that's where we need to be. So I appreciate you guys giving me so much time today. And I definitely want to send people to your site. So where's the the best place to get the book is holyandhuman.com. Yeah. And they can get your meditations too. Yeah, the free guided meditations are on there. And then the book's available, amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, or your local bookstore. Pick it up. Well, thank you so much, Adam Foley and Elisa Romeo. The book is Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. Pick it up. And thanks so thanks much so for much. joining me today. Thank you. It was great. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.